You have your questions ready, so Glenn, I'd like to invite you back to the podium. And when you ask a question, have a preamble if you want, but no speeches, please. Keep your introduction brief and ask the question. Yes. Hi, my name is uh, Knut Peterson. Thanks for the presentation. Uh, my my question is, uh, and I think maybe that's the direction that money, uh, the question should go. During the you know, giving the present situation, can the uh, Canadian Wheat Board survive in a competitive market? Okay. Thanks for the question. Uh, yes, I'm quite confident that the organization can survive going forward. Uh, we just need to get some uh, 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 parameters around what it is or what we can be uh, going forward. We are doing a lot of work on, uh, on moving forward. Uh, unfortunately, we can't do anything or announce anything with that until we actually know when the legislation has been passed and how we are going to move forward. But I'm quite confident that our organization can do well in a competitive market. We have a, a great customer base uh, worldwide. We market to over 100 countries. We have, uh, as mentioned, 62% of Western Canadian farmers still want to deal with us. So I think we have a good base to uh, certainly start our operations off and move forward. So I'm quite confident as, uh, as a uh, staff member of the organization that we, uh, we can move forward and uh, do a good job on behalf of Western Canadian farmers. Please give your name when you're at the mic. Hi, my name is Mark Sandylands. Thank you uh, for coming. Uh, interesting talk. A um, couple of uh, quite distantly related or unrelated uh, questions. Uh, one, what's the relationship between the Canadian Wheat Board and the survival of the short track railways? And secondly, uh, what are the prospects for uh, uh, genetically modified wheat being introduced into Canada if the Wheat Board uh, loses its, inf its influence? Okay, I'll uh, address the short line railway issue. Uh, as you're well aware, the Canadian Wheat Board has been very supportive of all the uh, short line rails or the producer car loading facilities that have been uh, built up on those lines. Uh, so we are very supportive of that. Uh, if you're looking at the issue directly related to short line rails and whether they get kept in a specific area, that's really not up to the Canadian Wheat Board. That's up to uh, usually uh, groups within those areas and they have to lobby with the uh, railways, etc., to try to maintain those facilities or else buy them out, buy out the short lines. So, but we do get involved. They, they do come to the organization to find out uh, how they can uh, do the marketing or, or the, for car supply, etc. But all that, all that will change as we go forward because we won't be, in, won't be dealing with the uh, allocation of rail cars in the same capacity that we are doing today. So we, we will have a bit less influence into that, but we certainly are going to be uh, uh, utilizing and, and working with producer car loading groups as we go forward. Uh, the question on the genetically modified uh, crops, that one I, I'm not even going to touch because that's, I, I have no idea where that's headed at this uh, time frame, and uh, I, w I wouldn't want to comment on, on any of that. So, But it's a good question, though. Thanks, Speaker. <laughs> Hi, my name is Grant Nelson. I farm with my four sons in the Sterling area. Uh, I'm kind of getting tired of hearing this vote thing, you know. Why didn't you ask... Uh, you decided that question uh, to determine by the answer you wanted to get. Why didn't you just ask, do you as farmers want the opportunity 
to decide who you sell your grain to, uh, how much you want for it, the crops you want to grow. And if you had asked that question, the answer would have been very different. You know, that I know lots of farmers that, that were so upset with that question that they didn't even vote. And I did vote because I think they made a mistake. But that was a dumb question, in my opinion. And, uh, and we need the wheat board, actually. For all those farmers that don't want to find their own markets, that want to go to Arizona for the winter, uh, want to live in the past, uh, we need a wheat bark for those kind, but there's a lot of entrepreneurial farmers that don't want that, and we should have the choice, and uh, and we can't. And I have never liked the wheat bark, my dad said, and but I, I know what you have to do. You're trying to protect your job, but but it is not as one-sided as you led it to believe. If you if you could vote on bushels, it would be 80 percent against the wheat bark. Okay. Thanks for your comments. Uh, and at no time uh, in my life have I ever been worried about my job, uh, and that's not the reason I'm here today. So, But I will take back your comments uh, regarding the questions on the ballots, and uh, I appreciate your comments. So, Hello. Hi there. I'm Howard Kelp from New Dayton. I quit farming in 1989. My son and grandsons are farming the, the land, and they rent more land. So they farm about 11,000 acres. So they're a little bit past the garden stage. But this uh, wheat board, my dad didn't like it. He came to Canada in 1908, and I didn't like it. But one thing God did, I think, let me live to outlive the wheat board. Thank God for that. And I have one other thing to say. Martin Luther King, I'd like to quote him. We are free, we are free at last. Thank you. Thanks. Oh. Yes, my name is Ernie Van Dyke. I'm a, just a little farmer, and I'm an old buck now. You can see that. I'm not farming much. Uh, my father came here in 1905, just a little bit of history, and I'll ask you a question. Uh, with the end of this single desk, will you people be able to compete against these big American grain companies that will probably come in and, and uh, buy our grain? Will you be able to compete against those companies? Well, I'm hopeful that we can, but they obviously have a, a, big, a lot bigger infrastructure worldwide. They also, uh, uh, their footprints across North America are very uh, large in, in some areas, so there will be that to compete against. Uh, obviously, uh, as we move forward, we're going to have to uh, look at uh, other ways of doing business than we have in the past. So uh, that's certainly going to be uh, an issue that we'll have to face moving forward. Okay, I have a nephew farming at Quincy, Washington, the Columbia Basin. They moved there 45 years ago. Uh, Three-quarters of an hour ago, his secretary just sent me the current prices, Portland price and his price. He hauls to the river. Mm-hmm. He hauls to the big terminals on the river. He hauls right out of the field into the terminal on the river. And if anybody here wants to see the prices that he's receiving today and that he received Last spring, um, you can be free to see it. I got it on black and white, and then you'll find out why people want dual marketing. It's by the price that he's getting and the price that we're getting. Thank you. Okay.
My name is Bal Gura, and I have two questions, very short one. Number one is the, you know, whenever you change over something from something to something else, there's always a cost. Has they given you any, or do you know any cost, what it's going to cost the, the government? of? There's no free lunch. Every one of you will be paying for all this, you know, changing over. The second is, is there any implications in this free trade business, in, uh, under the free trade agreement with the United States? Okay. Uh, to address the costs, the uh, organization actually had, has KPMG, who uh, came in to do an assessment of the organization's uh, uh, liabilities, etc. Uh, this, and this relates back to uh, we have 400 employees there, so there's uh, pension, severance. <laughs> this is if uh, we were to go to a wind-up. Uh, there's also contracts that we have with uh, companies because we uh, didn't know that uh, August 1st, 2012 was our end date when we were obviously uh, dealing with some of these issues. Freight contracts, for instance, going forward with uh, large uh, companies that we deal with uh, business year in, year out. Uh, computer costs, etc. So there's things that uh, are all compiled into that. Uh, the, the, the number that uh, came back was in the neighborhood of around, uh, I believe it's $300 million. Uh, so that's one cost, just for the wind-up costs of the organization, if that's where it actually ends up going. Uh, there's also additional costs, uh, uh, like the cost uh, assessment on uh, the additional dollars to the growers of Western Canada is assessed at around $500 million. Uh, that's one other uh, figure that, is, that uh, the Board of Directors are using in their comments. And uh, so there is other additional costs. Those all have to be determined at this point because... Uh, some uh, some agreements run out uh, different time frames as we move forward. So, uh, but there is definitely a cost uh, to winding up the business if we uh, if that's the way that uh, uh, things go going forward. <coughs> cost benefit analysis by the government, yeah. not that I'm aware of. Yeah, yeah. He just asked if there was any cost benefit analysis that was cre uh, done in this result and. And there hasn't been, uh, to my knowledge, and there, it hasn't been presented to the Board of Directors if there was, so I'm, I'm unaware of that. So. Uh, oh, sorry, the NAFTA, NAFTA question? Yes. Uh, the implications from the NAFTA that, that I'm, I'm not the expert on that by any means, but uh, I believe the implications in NAFTA is that if once the uh, Canadian Wheat Board is eliminated, it, it's gone. There's no bringing it back. So that's probably the biggest implication. So for those... Uh, in the crowd that are wanting to eliminate the organization, they'll be happy to hear that because that's exactly what will happen. So. Yeah. Art Sanford is the name. And um, I got quite a surprise the other day watching uh, an interview with Minister Ritz on CBC with Evan Solomon. And the question was, uh, well, if the wheat board's gone, who's going to sell the farmer's wheat? And Ritz's comment was, well, he realized that, um, that there are actually two companies in Canada who, who are number one and number two in sales. The Wheat Board's number three. Uh, Viterra is the largest. And I thought it was interesting when he gave that name because Evan Solomon says, well, who is that? Thinking it was a big American firm. And he says, no, it's a Canadian firm headquartering out of Regina. Mm -hmm. But is that the reality, that the Wheat Board is number three in sales? Actual sales to the end user? Uh, I don't have that, those stats with me, but last year I believe we were $6 billion in uh, sales revenue and I, I don't have Viterra's number, so I don't know where they're at. Well, these are just the figures coming right from the minister, so yeah. I'm... Well, I, I don't have those figures, but they're... Uh, 
I uh, would would be highly suspect on those uh, on that. So they do a, they have a large volume of business in Canada and do a lot of exporting out of Canada through their facilities. Uh, that's uh, Canadian Wheat Board uh, sales. So I mean, I'm not sure how what the context of that comment was. So without hearing it, I can't. No, his comment was <clears throat> that they had actually sales to the end user. These other two companies were larger than the Wheat Board. So yeah. well, sales to the end user. If they're in, they're they're internationally. Uh, uh, Viterra have uh, all of Australia. They just bought out the Australian or the uh, Australian uh, barley board uh, last year, and so they have the footprint in Australia as well. So, I mean, I, I haven't seen the latest numbers on what their exports are. I think he was talking about Canadian grain. Yeah. Well, if he's talking about Viterra, though, that's a different context. So, their company is worldwide. So it's kind of uh, depends what the what the what the statement was. So I don't know. I can check into it though for you. Yes. Hi, my name is Brian Otto. I farm at Warner, Alberta. Um, I'm, I just want to question you a little bit on this, the wind-up costs of the Canadian Wheat Board. First of all, the $500 million owed to Canadian farmers, is that out of the pool accounts? Is that what we're talking about there? No, the $500 million, that was the assessment of the loss of the single desk. $500 million. Well, I think that's a questionable figure, so I, we, well, could, no, that's, argue, we just, could argue all day on that. Yeah. But I, I don't want to argue on or debate that one, but uh, there's a couple of things that you you made uh, statements about uh, contractual agreements, long-term agreements with for grain sales, I'm assuming, mm -hmm. and uh, transportation agreements through the ports that you have commitments to. Um, if the board of directors would finally decide to put a business plan together and form a voluntary Canadian Wheat Board or whatever you want to call it, cannot those agreements be rolled into the new entity so that there wouldn't be a cost to anybody? Well, that's a good question. I don't, I'm not the one involved in all those assessments, but companies, I'm just telling Companies do it every day. When one company is bought out by another company, the, the liabilities of one company are rolled into the other one. Yeah, no, that's a fair, fair comment. So I, I don't can... think it's fair to call that a cost. Well, a that's, cost. that's the cost that KPMG are looking at. They're assessing all those. But I don't so think anybody's looked deep enough into this to figure it out that they aren't really a cost because they're going to be part of the new entity if they ever form a voluntary board. Yeah, well, that's the confusing part right now because we have to have a, a number uh, that has to be supplied to the government in order for them to tell us whether they're covering those costs or not. So in order to do that, we have to do an assessment, which KPMG is doing, and the government has also hired a firm to, to, uh, to uh, assess those numbers to make sure that those are, in, in fact, actual and, and costs that should be incurred by the government of Canada. So there's two sides to it, and that's, that's really how it's being approached at this moment. But I, I appreciate your comments. I don't know about rolling from one to another. or uh, We don't know where we're headed yet. I know there's end dates and there's things being discussed, but we don't, I don't know today talking to you whether we're going to be this or that on August 1st and how we would roll that forward, but that, that could possibly happen as well. So it's a fair comment. Well, you made one comment that gives me a little bit of uh, hope at the end of the tunnel that there will be this opportunity for those farmers that want to pool that at least somebody in that board is looking at a, some kind of a business model mm -hmm. to move forward. Yes. That's encouraging. Yes. No, I uh, appreciate those comments because uh, I'm involved in a in a quite a few of those uh, meetings that are going on right now and we obviously if we're going to transition into something else we have to have a bit of a plan as to what we're going to do on August 2nd and uh, 
So I wanted to uh, assure you that those things are being looked at and they are being worked at. I know there's been a lot of comments in the paper that the board is not looking forward. We have taken uh, 17 proposals forward to the minister's office on July 22nd and are still waiting a response on what it is out of those 17 that we uh, should move forward with. But since then, there's also been the... Uh, we know what the bill has included in it, and that looks like we're going to a voluntary organization. So that makes it a little more clear. We still don't know all the details, but uh, I can tell you that our CEO and several of our senior management and uh, legal were down in Ottawa on Monday and met with uh, members of the uh, uh, Ag Canada, and we're working towards uh, what it is we need to, to do going forward. So... Am I allowed a second question? Uh, I thought there would be a huge lineup here, but it doesn't appear. Uh, could you fill us in on the uh, what's going to happen with the producer cars if the uh, Canadian Wheat Board uh, is no longer? Well, as it stands right now, the uh, producer cars, as I mentioned, are certainly something that we're uh, still going to work with in our uh, new business plans going forward. Uh, the only implication to the producer cars that could happen is, uh, as was brought up before, about short lines. Uh, how long will some of these short lines remain uh, viable? Uh, if the rail rates go up, the uh, freight rates become uncompetitive, and it's uh, more advantageous for farmers to go direct to a uh, high throughput or other other means, that could be the demise of the, the producer car. But as we're going forward, we're still looking at including the producer cars in the in uh, business that will be conducted in Western Canada, and I still think there's a, a future for them. But there could be changes going ahead that I'm not aware of, and if freight rates uh, go up, that will certainly put an end to, the, to a lot of producer cars being loaded on, uh, on sidings. Terry Shellington, thank you very much for your presentation. I'd like to uh, place a question that we discussed a bit around our table. Namely, uh, Australia has gone through this process a few years ago, um, what are the learnings? What uh, do we see from uh, how are farmers impacted by that? And are there learnings that uh, uh, we'd want to apply to this, this context? Okay, that's a good question. Um, I'm not the authority on what's gone on in Australia, but I can comment on I was actually in Australia three years ago just when this was being implemented, and we met with several uh, grower groups when I was over there just to get a, a, an idea and also with... Uh, the, the handling companies, etc., and there was at that time a lot of turmoil because they were just moving into this phase, and uh, there was questions around what would the what what would the cost be. And while while I happened to be there, there was a marketing rep had made a business plan or made a uh, deal with a producer the one day, and by the by the next morning the freight rates or the uh, the uh, rate that they were going to charge going into one of the terminal positions that went up two two dollars a ton, which he hadn't accounted for, so he lost forty thousand bucks over uh, overnight. So. It was just some of the examples that happened. I mean, there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of uh, anxiety in the country at that time because people weren't sure what the benefits were going to be and how it was going to work out. I haven't heard exactly how things have gone over there since then. I know there's it's like anything when something's implemented. There's people that'll say it's working really well, and others that are still skeptical as as things move forward. But there has been companies uh, merged, bought out, etc. Uh, I mean, so they are. Uh, they are moving forward. Uh, farmers are still farming in Australia, and things are, are still uh, moving forward, and they're exporting grain. And So it's not like everything stopped. It's just that there is changes, and I'm not sure the exact impact to farmers uh, on the ground uh, on, in their pocketbook. But uh, I know that business is being conducted. Uh, I do know of some issues last year where in certain markets, uh, some of the Australian farmers were given up about 30 bucks a tonne. 
in some markets, but they're moving grain. So it depends what you want to do. You want to move some grain or there may be some trade-offs. So that's, there is some stories around that, but that's, that's just the, some of the issues you hear as you uh, go through these changes. So, and undoubtedly, we'll hear, there'll be lots of issues in Canada as we move through the, the changes here as well. Down for a short, kids. Uh, my name is Frank Toth. Uh, I just want to jog our memories a little bit. I don't see too many people under 60 here. But we've got to remember no sooner that Cargill come in with a 75-acre uh, uh, donation, $75 million grant, and no taxes for 25 years. They're still under that thing. But no sooner that happened when our Archie Bunger government, at the time I call that the Klein era, they immediately sold the Alberta Turnbulls. Guess to who? Cargill. Literally for a few dollars, okay? And this, this is so much of a political privatization scheme. You know, we talked about percentage of majority. We are now governed by a 24% majority so-called government out of 68% that voted. And they, they're not happy with a 62% majority that voted to retain this thing anyway. Now, the question is that, uh, uh, do you think this was the only, as far as I'm, I ever known of my 85, 89, close to 90 years, this is the first form of unity that's been consistent or existed in Canada, this Canadian wheat board business. Now, the question is, do you think this will divide and conquer the solidarity of the growers of our food in Canada by abolishing the CWB? Well, that's a good question, but uh, that's really not up to me to answer or, or know what is going to happen, but I'm sure there is going to be a divisiveness amongst uh, certain growers or different growers, but that exists today, and we still function in a, in a marketplace uh, with different opinions already, so I don't see that that's going to be a major issue. We're going to have to work through that. It's no different. Uh, I, make a, I make my, mark my X on a election day, too, and... If my party doesn't win, I, I still have to live. In, I'm still living in this country because I choose to live here, and uh, and we live by the rules governed by the uh, governing body at that time. So I think uh, we all respect democracy, and you make a good point. Uh, but unfortunately, we have a government who has a majority, and it, it is up to the, it's their uh, at their discretion at this particular moment. It is encouraging, though, to see uh, people engaged in this process, whether people are on the uh, you know, pro-wheat board side or, or on the uh, marketing freedom side. I mean, employees of the Canadian Wheat Board, we work for all farmers and we, we deal with many people who will tell me flat out how they feel about things that are going on, but they don't, uh, we, work with, we work with them and, and we have lots of great conversations with everyone and I don't, uh, I don't put a, you know, we don't, uh, we don't make any differences about what someone's opinion is. We try to move forward and make some changes and which the board of directors have done over the past 10 years uh, in, in the organization, they have made, made some uh, major moves forward, but for some people that hasn't been enough. And so we're at the position we're at right now. And so uh, it's not up to me. Uh, it's up to the farmers of Western Canada and the, the board of directors uh, to move, move forward. And, uh, and the government of Canada will have the end of, end of the day say, I think, on uh, how things are going to work out here. But uh, we'll, we'll have to respect that and move forward. 
Thank you very much for your presentation. My name is Frances Schultz. One of, the, one of the points that I'm wondering if you can give us information on is that people talk about the higher price of grain, whether it's in Europe or whether it's in the U.S., and we all know there's subsidization. Can you give us information on how much the, the figures are for subsidization of production in the U.S.? Oh, that's a great question, but I don't have those facts or figures with me. But, uh, you know, the, the U.S. farmer does have the U.S. farm bill that, uh, that they operate under, and there is subsidies involved in that. Uh, unfortunately, the Canadian farmers, if you... Uh, uh, it's too bad I don't have the OECD uh, slide in my presentation that would show the subsidies around the world by different countries, but obviously the United States and the European Union are much more highly subsidized than Canadian farmers, so uh, I just don't have those figures with me, and they change every year, obviously, but there is substantial dollars in subsidies uh, through different avenues throughout uh, different countries, uh, and unfortunately the Canadian farmers are definitely at a disadvantage as far as uh, on the subsidy sides. I'm sorry, I don't have that number with me, but I can, we can, I can certainly dig into it and, and get back to your uh, organization on that if that's of interest to you. Yes? Bev Mundell Atherstone. Um, I'm the NDP candidate for Little Bow. So I'm quite curious. Um, we know that both Europe and the U.S. have um, big protectionism platforms to keep Canadian wheat out at at their wishes. Uh, I just wonder how long it will be until Canadian farmers who are all lined up along the 49th parallel with their trucks wanting to truck it over that the Montana governor and and the other governors along the, the prairie will say, okay, no more Canadian wheat, or we'll only buy it at low prices because we want to mix it with our wheat and sell it as a higher grade because we've got higher grade wheat. So that's my first question. And the second question is, it seems like the Prime Minister is bent on getting rid of the wheat board, and from what you've put forward there going forward, that there will be no way that the wheat board will be able to compete with the private companies. Would a possibility for the Canadian wheat board be to ask for the Canadian government to give the $200 million, um, that they're asking to, um, to have as um, a surety for the farmers, uh, give that to them, the same as they've given money to Cargill, um, and also to help to provide the infrastructure, perhaps with a uh, zero percentage long-term loan um, to have the infrastructure that they do not now have. In other words, would there be a way to make the playing field with the private companies more competitive for the wheat board so that the costs are not downloaded onto the farmers. Hey, thanks. Uh, I'm not sure if I can answer the second question there about the, uh, the money that's, like, as I mentioned before, the board of directors put forward six points on things that they wanted to achieve in order to move forward to the new organization. Some of those have dollar values associated with them and some don't. Uh, some are access agreements, etc. So those, those are hard to assess uh, an actual dollar value and how that will work going forward. Uh, as far as money, like subsidized, uh, like uh, subsidies to grain companies, I'm not aware of any subsidies to grain companies from the federal government. Uh, but as we move forward, there is, uh, like, if we're to have a level playing field and we're supposed to be part of, the, part of it moving forward, we need to have access to rail, access to 
port facilities, primary facilities, et cetera, et cetera. So we're just wanting to make sure that as long as we move forward and we have an environment to move forward, and I think we can still be competitive. So that's kind of the premise that we're working on right now. Okay, we have about 10 minutes. Be sure you're short. Okay, sorry. Thank you very much for your presentation. My uh, name is John Zinstra, and I am a wheat and barley producer. Also, I grow other products and whatnot, and I uh, am a strong believer in uh, in the wheat board, and if I don't, I don't have to grow wheat or barley. I could grow other crops, which I do as well. I grow sugar beets, sunflowers, and, uh, and dry beans as well. Since the board has taken the government to court, my question is, will that court issue be resolved before next August? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, I don't. I don't know I think, that. I think it's very important to have that resolved before. Yeah. Uh, I don't know the answer to that, but uh, as I mentioned earlier, the the uh, bill C18 is already in the second reading, and it's already going to committee. Uh, once it goes from committee, it then goes to the Senate, and it goes through uh, committee process there. Uh, basically, it could be approved uh, even by the end of November. Uh, in the current status, and I'm not sure when this court challenge or the uh, taking the government to court would even hit the uh, hit the uh, docket. Uh, so I'm not sure how that's going to work. So it does raise a few questions. And since I since we just found out about this yesterday, I'm I'm certainly not uh, privy to any other information on it. But that that is something. And if the government makes a decision on our organization prior prior to that, how will that how will that fall out in court? I'm not sure. But it's a good question and. We hope we have more answers for you as the uh, time goes forward, but uh, I don't know that at this moment. So, Thank you. My name is James Moore. <coughs> I have two related questions. The first one is, uh, there, is there any impediment? I, I, my understanding is that if a farmer who lives near the border and wants to sell his grain south of the border, he just has to fill out a few forms to buy his, his wheat back from the board, and then he can sell it for whatever he can get. That's the first question. But related to that question is my second question. Um, if you don't live, if you live, say, more than 200 kilometers from the border, so your, your trucking costs increase, and with climate change and the movement of uh, the viable farming land northward, how does this? How is this going to look for the farmers who are living further north, who are using the port of Churchill, in regards to uh, you know if they're all divided into these individual farmers without uh, being able to support each other through the wheat board, they'll be completely at the mercy of the multinational corporations and railways uh, without the the wheat board as their support. So we also understand, I think, quite fully that the multinational corporations have only one interest to maximize profit. That will be at the expense of the farmers. I'm not a farmer, but I know enough to know that, you know, any nation needs to support farmers for its own survival. And I'm worried about that, that second question more, but I think a little bit of context with the first. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Uh, yes, under the, the current, your question was about the process to uh, market grain to the U.S., uh, in the current environment, we have a uh, process called the producer direct sale, where a producer that wants to move market grain into the U.S. would have an end customer that they're going to deal with, that they would come to us. Uh, they would do a producer direct sale, which is a buyback of their grain, move that grain into the U.S. market and achieve that 
or capture that higher value if they have found a higher value. Uh, one thing that always gets left out of this whole discussion is the fact that those individuals that choose to do that are still in the in the pool account as well, and they still would receive any additional benefits through the interim or adjustment or final payments within that crop year. So it does give them that option as well. So there is a process available uh, that that a lot of producers currently use, and those that are, those that know what they're doing are able to make make uh, good money at it because they understand the process. Um, uh, as we move forward. Obviously, if the organization changes uh, drastically or dramatically as, uh, as it looked like it's going to, a lot of these things are going to go out the window and it won't be our responsibility because we won't be the sole exporter of grain in Western Canada. So a lot of those things will change as we go forward, and that's just one of them. Uh, Final question. Oh, okay. Good. Sorry. Thank you, Glenn, for your presentation. It was a pleasure to see that the Canadian Wheat Board would make a presentation to this group of intelligent people. Um, my point is that most people, the government talks, the media talks, and the free marketers talks about the wheat board in 1943 and before that and after that. Well, that all changes, but nobody mentioned the change that was made in 1998. When we got the Freedom Day, not now, the Freedom Day came in 1998 when we had the freedom to choose how we wanted to sell our product. So the bill is a misnomer, it says the Freedom Bill. The bill denies the farmers the opportunity to voluntarily, collectively agree how to sell their grain. Now, this has changed since 1998 and 1990. Before 1999, the government operated the wheat board. From that time on until now, the wheat board is operated by the producers for the producers. We had made many changes. So we have a group of people that live in the past from before 1998, don't recognize or realize what's going on presently, and they eloquently protect the future for us. Well, happy days in Canada. This is not about the wheat board. This is about democracy. When there is a union and, and a management uh, sign of a strike, the government pulls out their big guns and they say, Back to work legislation. In four years' time, there will be no more union left, and no more freedom to speak, and no more freedom after speech. Thank you. I have no questions. Okay, thank you. Well, thank you very much, and on behalf of uh, SACPA, I appreciate the, you and your partner coming on such short notice, and we thank you for your uh, presence here today. Thank you very much.